Thanks to Corsa for supporting another mother runner and for making cute, innovative running clothes, including new fall apparel. Corsa is dedicated to delivering original performance-driven apparel designed for runners by runners. Get $20 off your order at roadrunnersports.com AMR. StoryWorth is a meaningful gift you and your family can treasure forever, and you can get started right away. Go to storyworth.com AMR to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks to Calm, the number one mental wellness app and my favorite meditation app for supporting another mother runner. Go to calm.com AMR for a limited time offer of 40% off your Calm premium subscription with hundreds of hours of programming, unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and fresh content added every week. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Katie Snevis. Hello, Katie. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Good. You are fresh off a very exciting weekend in Chicago, Illinois. I am. It was so wonderful to do an in-person race. Um, Yeah, it was, you know, you just kind of it's not that you don't forget what that feeling looks like when you, and I love big races, like the bigger, the better for me. I don't think I could ever run a small, um, marathon or half marathon for that matter ever again. I just love the energy. I love all the people. I love being bumped into in the crowds. I love that, you know, 50 people in line for each porta potty. I love all of it. Um, and so it's just, it was so nice to be able to run, a half marathon in person. It was definitely smaller than it has been in years past. It was 5,000 people versus yeah, it was know, a, it, a mere yeah. 5,000 people. Yeah. A mere 5,000. Usually it's probably <laughs> or close to 20, but um, it was wow. a beautiful Chicago fall day, like sunny blue skies, 50 degrees at the start. Mm. Um, and I ran it with my niece and nephew who are more than 20 years younger than me, by the way. Um, but my niece really wanted to run a half and she just moved to Chicago to go to uh, graduate school, physical therapy school. Actually, I learned that she's going to be a doctor when she comes out. I didn't appreciate that. So that was <laughs> a fun thing to learn um, when we were out there, but it was awesome to share that experience with them. And we ran it and we raced hard and we had and you, an and awesome you du- time. And you dusted your nephew at around mile eight. We did. You know, I feel, I still feel a little bad about that. So Jack is 25. Um, I wonder if he'll, I might have to send him this podcast. So he listens to it and, you know, being the 25 year old that he is, he's running and he's working out, but he's also going to bachelor parties and going to baseball games on the weekend. So I'm not sure his training was up to par. So, and Ellie, my niece, so their brother and sister, she is a big competitor. She's an awesome soccer player and just a great athlete. And so at mile, she wanted to run it in under two. I was like, okay, we can run it. And under two, this is the first time we never discussed what our um, time goal was, by the way. You were on the way to the race, weren't you? Yeah. It was about five 45 in the morning on the Uber. And I was like, so what, um, what piece are we shooting for today? So it was kind of funny. And, uh, so at mile eight, it was right before, or obviously right after the turn. Um, and we were, you know, we were doing pretty well, but we needed to pick it up a little bit. So Ellie just turns back to him and we were, you know, you know, we all know this when you're trying to do the mental math of calculating your pace and what you need to shoot for, for the next yeah. Um, you know, 40, 50 minutes, it's not easy to do when you're in the middle of a race, but we've been very consistent by this point. So we nice. just need to pick it up a little bit. Um, uh-huh. and she turns around, she's like, Jack, 
you need to pick it up. And he's like, I'm not, I can't pick it up. And she's like, okay, we'll see you later. And I was like, Ellie, why don't you go ahead? I'll stay with Jack. Like, this is not a, <laughs> I'm not getting for a PR today. And she's like, no, you have to stay with me. So I was a little torn being there and, but, um, <laughs> all was good. We left Jack and he was, he was happy. He was totally fine with that. So it was, it was a great race. And it was more importantly, a fun weekend to do, to spend with my family and um, to do something pretty cool with my niece and nephew. So Very. it was awesome. Thank you for asking. Very cool. And so you indicated it was out and back. Was it along the waterfront or where was it? It was, it was out and back along the waterfront. So it was South Chicago. So it was um, the start and the finish of the course was in the Muse- Museum of Science Industry Park yes. uh-huh, um, yeah. called Jackson Park. And so they shut down Lakeshore Drive. So it was nice. Wow. It was really wide, you know, oh, and, I mean, there was one at the turn, you know, you had to get on the path and it was a little bit um, more condensed, but it was, it was great. You know, the, the funny thing is there was zero spectators on the course. I mean, there were a few people in the beginning, but then, you know, miles one and a half through, Oh, like up until like five and a half, there was no one. And then there were definitely people at the turn. Like, I think, you know, they just realized that that would be a good place to see their Mm -hmm. family members. And so there are people there and then you got left alone for a while too. So it was nice to run it with someone um, because we didn't have any music or anything. So we just chit chatted and it was funny. (laughs) At one point, Ellie's like, do you have a funny story to tell me? And I was trying to think of something (laughs) and I had told some funny stories, but I'd used all my material. And I was like, I don't have anything, Ellie. I'm sorry. (laughs) Isn't it so funny? Sometimes I feel I could be sitting down with someone you know, like at coffee, a, a drink, whatever it is, and just chat, 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 chat. And then sometimes you mm-hmm. get into a race. Like so I've occasionally been pulled into, you know, like run somebody in for the final miles yes. and they're, and they're like, I'm totally fried. Just tell me a story. I'm like, um, uh, totally. uh <laughs> I have nothing. <laughs> um, I went to Trader Joe's last night. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm like, I don't, I have some stories, but it's nothing you want to hear. You don't want to hear about like my mom, my kids doing silly things. You're 22. You don't want to. So I, I failed as, um, as an aunt and as a running buddy during miles 10 through 12, but we made it. We yeah. made it. Yeah. Well, that's good because particularly what your longest run pre-race had been, did you say 10 or 11 miles? 10. 10, yeah. but you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I never said I was the like straight A student when it comes to training plans. <laughs> I never did, but every other half I've ever run, I've only ever run 10 miles before. Wow. So that's just kind of the way, I mean, I run, you know, four, four or five days a week. And so all in my mileage is probably, I don't know, whatever it may be, 15 miles, 20 miles, but or actually, well, and then obviously yeah. the days, the weeks that I did 10 miles, it was longer than that. So it, I was, you, you obviously know. pay a lot of attention to your Strava feed. Yeah. <laughs> not even Garmin connect. Yeah. No, oh. none of those things. Oh, I didn't know you're not on Strava. That's why. No, <laughs> no. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, Sarah. You've known me for long enough that you should know that that's how I operate. <laughs> it's my, I am not much for Strava. My, my, um, Coros just GPS just automatically, uh, loads up there, mm-hmm. but over the weekend I did look up, I was like, Hey, look, Dimity's on Strava. I can see what her race looks like. That's so awesome. And it yeah. was mighty impressive. It was, but we won't give any spoilers. She, she's not even letting us talk about it on next week's answers. She is saving it for the following week's trains when she's also going to talk to coach Jen and coach Liz about their respective races. Well, how cool is that? Keep everyone in suspense for a little bit longer. 
Yeah, it's. I think she, I hope she's going to write a blog post. I bet she'll write a blog post before then. But I'm sure um, she will. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, um, and you had another reason though for um, keeping your pedal on the gas during the race that you well, share with us. <laughs> I did. I did. So my oldest daughter Ella, who is 11 years old, um, she is a swimmer. That's kind of her sport, but in middle school, they offer cross country. And so my husband's a runner too. So we're like, Ella, this is perfect. You know, it's a great way to meet because she's at a relatively new school, meet people, you know, you get to go run and hang out with your friends and chat. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty fun. And she's like, I don't, I just don't know about running. I mean, she's run a little bit here and there with us. Um, but she, she's gotten into it, which is great. We kind of sold it to her as good cross training for swimming, which I think is a total (laughs) lie. I think swimming is good for swimming, not necessarily running for swimming, but regardless, I also want, I want to see the look on a child's face. When you say cross training, it's like, Oh, huh? Yeah. She's like, wait, what? Um, it was pretty funny. It was like a conversation between the three of us, but so she had a race on Saturday morning, um, that Dan was taking her to, as I was leaving to go to the airport and the race previous to that, she had stopped and walked for a little bit. She gets bad cramps, which I remember getting bad mm-hmm. cramps when I was yeah. little too. Cause you know, God only knows what she's eaten or drank before and the race. The, yeah. And the pace that they go out, you know, like a bat out of hell. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, how about let's make a deal. I was like, Ella, if you don't walk in your two mile race today, I will not walk in my half marathon tomorrow. And so it was Mm -hmm. a deal. So she didn't walk and, and I didn't walk. And that was the first thing that she, they called me right afterwards. And she was like, mom, mom, did you walk? And I was like, I didn't Ella. And she's like, I didn't either. And I was like, yay. So, so that was a fun little bet that we had on the side. That is very sweet. Very sweet. Oh my goodness. I know. And how was your weekend? Good. Uh, it was very good. Another soccer game. I just never tire of watching soccer games. Um, Daphne got my 16 year old girl twin got another goal. And so, um, yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned on the podcast last week about that. She was hanging out with a boy from the team. And, um, Mm -hmm. the update is that they are now officially boyfriend, girlfriend, because he asked her to be his girlfriend. So is that how it works now? He's like, listen, let's be boyfriend, girlfriend. You can't talk to anyone else. Is that how it goes down oh. in 2021? <laughs> I don't know. I, get, I get, definitely there was, he had not asked yet. So okay. she would not u- use that term. Right. Oh, and it was very funny because uh, Molly, my, my bestie here in town, she went um, camping with her middle daughter. Like you, she has three daughters. Right. And so Molly left on, I guess it was maybe she left Monday morning okay. of, la- of last week and got back Friday. So, you know, to you and me, that's a blink of an eye, right? Sure. Um, and, and so Friday afternoon, um, I played a little hooky and I walked Augie, the French bulldog, our French bulldog over to Molly's house and hung out for a little bit, talking with her in her backyard. And I was like, oh my gosh, Molly, I got news. Daphne has a boyfriend. She's like, wait, what? I just saw you on Sunday and there was none of this. She's like, I wasn't gone very long. I'm like, I know. Uh, Things move fast around here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes. So, and then the latest update is she went to his house yesterday for dinner because he'd been, he's been to our house twice for dinner now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That is just it. There must be nothing sweeter than seeing your daughter or son, whoever it may be, your child, just Mm -hmm. happy. Right. And, And kind of the first feelings of Oh um, yeah. Your first Infatuation. boyfriend. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. She was singing so loudly this morning. Sure. Room is on 
the third floor of our house and mine's on the second floor. And so I was meditating. I was doing the, the daily trip on calm. And so there I am like trying to, you know, see what my inner voice is telling me this whole thing. And I just, she was belting it out, just oh singing so loudly. I love it. It's so sweet. So sweet. Yes. And, uh, um, so I knew that the boyfriend's parents pay him a dollar for every goal he gets. And, um, and so I said to him, we drove him to his name's Cooper. We drove him and Daphne to, to the game on Saturday. And so I said, um, Hey Cooper, uh, I'll pay you a dollar. If you get a goal, I hear your parents do that. And I said, and if you have an assist to Daphne and she scores, I'll pay you $2. <laughs> Because, you know, there's sort of this sense on a co-ed soccer team, there's a, you know, the boys sometimes don't always pass to the girls. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Cooper passed it to Daphne. She scored. That so, is so awesome for so, many different reasons. Yeah. So, uh, I, when we got in the car, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, when we get home, I'll pay $2. She's like, that's okay. You don't need to. And so then when I got home, I fished out my two single dollar bills. I'm like here. And he paused for a second. And then he like leans in and he says, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't pull that from your, the jar that found change jar, did you? Oh, no, never. You you know, that's Mm -hmm. funny because, you know, I don't have a ton of change these in terms of cash in my wallet. And so I was like, sweet, I have two $1 $1 bills. It would have <laughs> never, like I could have been locked in my house for a year and it never would have occurred to me to go up and fish out one of two of the dollar bills I've found. Oh my God. I love it. You're so good about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, um, we have an interesting show today. We are, um, starting off breast cancer awareness month with a, it's a slightly controversial topic. It's reconstructive surgery. It's a highly personal topic, a decision every woman has to make for herself when she has a mastectomy. And we'll talk with three women, or I should say, I'll talk with three women who made the decision for themselves, delving into why they opted to go the route they did and how it worked out for them. And our first guest is actually you, Katie. That's why Mm. I said, I'll talk to three women. Yes. Yes. So when we return from this break, Katie will switch from co-host to guest. Stay with us. Did someone say new fall apparel from Corsa? Oh yeah, it was me. Corsa is the Roadrunner sports brand of running apparel. It's designed by runners for runners. Corsa's head designer, Tracy, was a guest on our show earlier this year. Tracy's a hardworking mother runner who's run more than a dozen marathons, so she knows how to make running clothes functional and fun. And Corsa's fall 2021 line is the first complete collection with Tracy leading the charge on each piece. I just know she pays attention to key details like wide, secure waistbands, soft yet durable fabrics, and stylish solids interspersed with fun prints. It's not yet chilly enough here for tights and long sleeves in Portland, but the moment it is, I'll be sporting the Corsa Infinite High Rise 7 8 6 Pocket Tight 2.0. Whew, long title, but did you catch that? Six pockets. Be still, my hardworking heart. There are three, three no-bounce secure pockets on each leg so you can keep your phone separate from your goose and your keys. They're made with sweat-wicking midway brush fabric that has a cottony soft feel and four-way stretch. You need to experience Corsa for yourself, and we have an amazing exclusive offer for our community. Shop the entire Corsa collection at roadrunnersports.com AMR to get $20 VIP reward cash to spend on your first Corsa apparel purchase, plus a free 90-day trial in the Roadrunner Sports VIP program. Okay, here's the short version. 
go to roadrunnersports.com AMR and you get $20 off your first course of purchase. As always, always with Roadrunner Sports, you get free shipping on your order. Don't delay. Right after this episode, scoot over to roadrunnersports.com AMR to save $20 on your first Corsa apparel purchase. roadrunnersports.com AMR. Coach Liz here, and you all know I'm close with my mom. After all, she's at my house every single day. So naturally, we talk a lot. I can probably tell you what she's up to right now. But even still, there are aspects of her life that don't come up in day-to-day conversation. And I want to learn about those things in a way that's tangible. That's why I gifted her with StoryWorth. StoryWorth is offering $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com AMR. StoryWorth is an online service that helps a loved one share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. Every week, StoryWorth sends a different story prompt. Questions you've never thought to ask, like, what is one of the strangest things that have ever happened to you? And are you an introvert or extrovert? I've learned all sorts of things about my mom's childhood, family, first jobs, and hobbies. These are intriguing topics that help me better understand and appreciate her story. After one year, StoryWorth will compile every story, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. You can even order multiple copies for your siblings, children, or other relatives. I plan to share the book with my own children so they can learn more about grandma in a fun and engaging way. StoryWorth is a meaningful gift for you and your family to treasure forever. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com AMR. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com AMR for $10 off. As I mentioned to Katie in the intro chit chat, I greeted the day today by doing the daily trip meditation on my favorite meditation app, Calm. And they're one of the sponsors of our episode. I swear, I didn't realize Calm was a sponsor when I mentioned it. It's truly how I start most days, sometimes even before I pee or brush my teeth. We're longtime partners with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Follow my lead by clearing your head and gaining insight with guided daily meditations. Improve your focus during the workday with Calm's curated music tracks. And drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. By going to calm.com slash AMR, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming with new content added every week. Like I said, I ground myself by starting my day on a Calm note. I listened to the 10-minute daily trip meditation, a series led by Jeff Warren. Even when my teenage daughter sings loudly, Jeff transports me. Jeff is insightful, empathetic, and doesn't take himself too seriously, which I appreciate. His themes and messages are always relatable and often hit home. Some of my favorite recent daily trips are aiming for generosity, what is acceptance, and be a body. As a runner trying to live in the present, I especially dug that session. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash AMR. Go to calm.com slash AMR for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash AMR. Welcome to the show, Katie. I, I feel like I never left here. <laughs> All right. Please give us a quick reminder um, as to your role at AMR and your family. Okay. So I am the chief marketing officer at AMR. Uh, I've been with you guys for five years, um, which is, Ooh. you know, such a milestone in a lot of many, in a lot of ways, but uh, which will you know, come to light during this conversation, but it's been such a journey, such an amazing journey, I should say. And, and you guys 
definitely saved me a little bit when I was in my deepest, darkest points of breast cancer five years Mm. ago. So I'm forever grateful for that. Um, Mm. I have three kids, three girls that are 11, 10 and eight years old. And then one awesome husband Mm -hmm. and my, my, he's not my favorite thing in the house, but he's one of my favorite (laughs) things in the house. My chocolate lab, Charlie, who has brought me my running buddy who has brought me so much joy over the past three years and a lot of headaches because he's a nuisance, but that's besides the point. I am somewhat convinced you and I both have dogs because of Dimity because, you know, she's such a pro pet person. And (laughs) and so then I got Augie and then I think you were kind of like, huh, Sarah seems to really like that dog of hers. <laughs> well, you know, I, maybe that's what the tipping point was, but I've wanted a chocolate lab since I was eight years old. Aww. Like since I was little, 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 and we had dogs growing up. It just was never right time. We lived in apartments in Chicago yeah. and New York and had babies. And so, yeah, so it just kind of, it just kind of happened. And and he is a great little guy. So yes, maybe it was, maybe it was <laughs> AMR that spurred me to purchase a, yet another thing. <laughs> Spoken like a true CMO. Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Katie, take us back five years, as you alluded to, to your diagnosis and your course of treatment. Yes. So uh, five years ago in July of this past year, I found a lump and I was 38 years old. So I was not getting mammograms yet, even though my mom had had breast cancer mm-hmm. and I had asked my OB in April, like, Hey, should I start getting mammograms earlier? Cause my mom had breast cancer. And since she had postmenopausal breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, she said, no, she's like, you know, mm. that's not the standard of care, which is interesting. You know, I look back on it and would they have found anything in April versus July? I mean, I know mine was a very fast growing aggressive cancer and my doctor thinks it grew in a couple of months, my oncologist. Wow. So wow. Maybe if I had had a mammogram, they wouldn't have seen anything, but it's just, you know, something mm-hmm. just fight for yourselves. Just be your own advocate is, is I think the mm-hmm. is, is just what everyone always needs to do. So anyways, I was diagnosed. It was a very quick whirlwind of decisions. And I think that's one thing that I didn't realize is we, you as a patient have to make a lot of decisions about your mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I alluded to, it was a very aggressive form of, um, breast cancer, which most of the time it is when you're younger and you get it. Mm-hmm. So I had to do, I automatically got chemo and Herceptin cause I was her two positive. Um, and then I had my surgery after all of that treatment. So, you know, it's interesting when, when you go to these, it's like a full-time job at first, you're going to mm-hmm. so many different doctor's appointments. My kids were six, five, and three at the time. Um, wow. so it was, you know, tough to juggle all that and, and find people to take care of my kids. I ended up bringing them to a lot of do- different doctor's appointments, but you know, they, one of the doctors they have you meet with is a, is a plastic surgeon. And you're like, why? I don't understand. I don't, I don't care about what my, my breasts look like. I just want to live. I want to be there for my kids when they graduate and do all of those important milestones. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying to me, you will care. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not going to care. I don't care about mm. meeting with him. I just, I don't, I just want to get this show on the road and We'll worry Mm -hmm. about the surgery later. So after Hmm. a few weeks, I did end up meeting with the breast, um, with the plastic surgeon, because you just kind of have to, as part of the process. And one of the biggest decisions that you have to make is a, if you want to do a mastectomy or a lumpectomy and there, I did have that choice. Hmm. Um, and then also reconstruction. And I just, it just was so many decisions and so many things to consider. And, you know, you're, you're trying to play the odds game of what will prevent it more so from coming back. And, you know, there's just, there's just so much to take into consideration. So I'm glad that I had a lot of friends, um, and family to lean on and ask questions about, because it would have been hard to make those decisions on my own. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So what ended up you, you had a, did you have a double mastectomy? Did you? Yes. I had yeah. a double mastectomy. Um, and I did reconstruction right then, right, right then immediately. Yep. yep mm-hmm. I did immediate reconstruction. So I had the implants put in right away. Uh, mm-hmm. I was not a candidate for the deep surgery, the deep flap surgery. I think that's what it's called. It's D I E P. Um, I was like 25 pounds lower than what I am now. I was, I was like wow. skin and bones after chemo. Yeah. So there just yeah. wasn't anywhere to take anything. I could have, I mean, you know, you can definitely delay that surgery. Right. And you just get the mastectomy and then you get that, the flap mm-hmm. surgery later, but, um, they just continually told me that I probably was not a good candidate for it. So mm. I, um, yeah. So I decided to go directly with the implants because flap surgery. So I understand would be using material from your own body, using fat from your body, basically. Yeah. Or m- muscle. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think you have to have, you know, a certain, I I'm, I'm probably not going to say this the right way, but certain number of pounds that you can spare or extra skin mm-hmm. or whatnot. I don't know what the qualifications are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just know, and I also had really small, well, I didn't, I used to have great boobs and then, you know, I <laughs> had three babies and then they all went down, they went downhill like everyone did. And so I didn't have a lot of extra skin there either. So I know that that mm. was one of the factors as well. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so then what was your post-surgery recovery like? Um, you know, I, because I had gone in after chemo and was, my body was just destroyed from that. I mean, luckily I didn't have to do steroids. I didn't have to do blood transfusions. Like I know it could have been a lot worse, but it was pretty weak. I mean, there was a point that, um, after each chemo, you get what's called a new shot, which is essentially a, an injection to spur your white blood cell growth so that you can just kind of take on this, all these chemicals that were just put into your body. And I had, um, gone in to get my final blood work before my surgery and that hadn't kicked in yet. So they're like, you can't get your surgery, your, your neutrophils and your white blood cell count is so low that we're afraid that you could get a major, um, infection and it could really, you know, so, but I was like, wait, just give me a day or two. I know it's, I know it's going to bounce back. And so I went back in for blood testing the next day and they, um, well, probably artificially, but they had definitely increased. So I was able to get the surgery. Uh, so it was a tough recovery. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, you know, you have to sleep sitting upright for weeks. Oh my goodness. They're tough. Um, the drains are, were really tough for me. Uh, you know, and, I, you just don't, you don't feel well. I mean, they give you a lot of medications to counteract everything that you've been going through, but, um, and it, and it definitely helps. Right. And then they also are always working, willing to work with you too. Like, well, if this, I, I do not do well with any sort of pain medication. Um, I just mm. get really sick from it. And so they gave me some different things to, to try and that helped as well too. But, you know, once my drains came out after about three weeks, then, it started to get better. I definitely started to walk around before that too. I mean, I think movement is so important as we all know, and that helped just kind of flush everything Mm -hmm. out of my body, but you have to be, you know, gracious for yourself. I mean, you're not going to be able to go out and walk maybe even half a block. I mean, you're just, your body's been through a lot. So Mm -hmm. I did, you know, I had the original surgery, they put in the implants, but they put them in very flat. And so what you have to go in and do is get them pumped up, which I'm sure that's not the accurate um, medical term for it, but they inject <laughs> saline directly into the implants. Wow. Um, wow. 
Well, I should say they're expanders, not implants. I'm using the right wrong word. And so then you, they pump them up until you get to a point where you're like, okay, that's kind of the size that I want to be, which you've obviously discussed this with your doctor beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then once you reach that point and you do it very slowly, cause it can hurt, it can be a little painful. And they're just like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you do that over several weeks or months. I think I had my swap out surgery in April, I believe. And my mastectomy was in November, right before Thanksgiving. So it was actually a lot longer. It was, you know, four or five months, six months. Um, and then at that point they swap out the expanders and put the, um, implants and the permanent so implants in. I remembered you because you started in November mm -hmm. with us. Yeah. And so that, so that surgery, then the following April, that was the one then that I remember that you had the follow-up surgery because, well, because I just, I was waiting to have my mastectomy. I, I oh, started, yeah, it was like, oh a yeah, couple days oh, yeah. no, I definitely remember that. And I, I was like, huh, I know she's undergoing that, but we've got this, we've got to turn in a proposal. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but I remember you going in for the follow-ups, the, the secondary surgery. I remember yes. that one in April. Yeah. Cause I thought, well, I thought you got your surgery done. And so, yeah. um, because they will do, um, by law insurance will cover as many surgeries as needed until the, the new breasts are like, you want them. Isn't that right? It is correct. And I actually had another surgery after that. So I got mm. them, you know, I got the implants in April and then, um, a year and a half later, mm -hmm. I did another surgery because what it's called stage three of the reconstruction, they can actually transfer fat and kind of fill in. Mm. Um, cause I did this smooth round implants, um, mm -hmm. instead of the teardropped ones that have the um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but they just have, it's, it's more, there's a texture to them okay. And during the process. I probably right before, or I don't know how many years this has been known, but there's a increased chance of lymphoma with those mm. types mm. of implants. So I really wanted to make sure to get the smooth implants anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, when that happens, you just kind of, you know, it just, especially if you're wearing like a tank top or a lower cut shirt, there's, it's almost hollow above where implants are. Oh. So they take uh -huh. that and they move it up there. So when they, I did that, I was like, I don't want to do that. I just, I'm so sick of surgeries. Cause I had to mm -hmm. have ports removed and all other things too. Um, and then finally I, my doctor convinced me to do it. And then I also swapped out my implants to get a little bit bigger ones. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I didn't want to be, I wanted to be very small. My doctor kept saying, you're going to want to be a little bit bigger than that. You're tall. You have broader shoulders. And I was like, no, no, no. I just, I don't want to have big breasts. I'm a runner. Like, I don't want those to get in the way. And then mm -hmm. sure enough, he knows, cause he's done this a million times. I did get them a little bit bigger. They just fit my body. Um, so mm -hmm. that was my third. Mm -hmm. surgery. Yeah. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so what has it been like running with implants? I, uh, you've told me, um, not not fully joking that you could go running without a bra. I really could. I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of crazy. Like the, the ladies do not move at all. Um, <laughs> which <ladies>. is, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of a nice little perk where I, my, I did have bare boobs, especially before kids. And so they, I, I understand that pain, you know, you have to wear double bras or just really tight support bras. And now I really could go run in whatever I wanted to, and it really wouldn't be a big deal, but I do know that's bad for you because they can shift. And, and obviously mm. I don't do that. Um, but yeah, it really has not been a problem for me at all. I know it, it definitely has impacted some women and especially the expanders. Those are kind of tough because they are just hard and, mm. um, they're a little bit more uncomfortable because they're so full, but I, I luckily have not had an issue with my implants at all. Um, mm. and I had, I opted to get my nipples removed too, just laying it all out there today. And so <laughs> I don't, 
you know, I don't ever have headlights, which is kind of nice as well. So <laughs> I, I really could wear just a t-shirt or a tank top and it'd be all fine, but that's not, that's not what I do. So everyone knows. <laughs> thank, thank you for your candor, Katie. I really yes. appreciate it. Yes. 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 So, so you said that originally you didn't want to talk to the plastic surgeon, like, no, 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 no. We just got to get this cancer out of me. Let's, let's keep moving forward. Was there ever a moment that you considered not having reconstruction? Um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, and I think it's because, um, of my age uh, that I was when I, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I, and I, I guess I shouldn't say I didn't consider it. I definitely talked to my doctor about it, talked to my doctors about it and he did a good job. You know, he is a plastic surgeon, so he operates on every single part of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, you're, you're young, Katie, you know, I, I didn't feel young at that point, but I guess in the grand scheme of things I was, and he's like, you, you know, I think that implants are there. This is obviously controversial, but they're very safe, especially ones that you're getting. Um, I just think that you're going to want implants. I, I think that you're going to want, want breasts. And so that's, that's the choice that I made. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm happy with that choice. I haven't, I mean, I know, I do know people, friends who've just gotten, um, implants put in not because of breast cancer and they've had Mm -hmm. leaks and they've had them pop and, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things can happen to them, but luckily that has not happened to me yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I call me ignorant, but I only learned in the past few years, it was actually from talking to some breast cancer survivors in the AMR community that breast implants have to be replaced every decade or so. So did, did that detail ever give you pause? Because as you point out, you are young. So, you know, they're, I imagine you're going to have a couple of replacement surgeries. I hope a lot. I hope a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be the 90 year old getting wheeled back and getting new implants. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, I didn't know that either. And you're not ignorant. It's just, if you're not in the, in that patient chair, you wouldn't know those things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they told me that I was like, ugh, you know, I just, I had had what six surgeries in a span of I don't know however many months I didn't want to face that down, but I also just told myself that's 10 years down the road. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge factor for me. It really, okay. it really wasn't. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. It reminds me of it's totally not the same thing, but when I was about to have my surgery to have all the pins and plates put into my multi-fractured ankle, they're like, Oh, you know, most people get these taken out later. I'm like, just, can we just deal with one surgery at a time, doc? Like put them in, right. we'll face the rest of it later on. Exactly. Like I just, <laughs> as much as you don't want to go under for multiple reasons, it just is, you're like, just give it to me, baby steps, yeah. please. Okay. Yeah. Here and now guy here and now. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. One final question for you as a guest. Um, what advice would you give women who find themselves in, in, in the shoes you were in five years ago? You know, I, um, and I am, am grateful for this. I get matched up with people all the time who have recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. I just think that, um, I talk, I honestly talk to women once a month that I don't Mm. know that people have introduced me to some, I know some, I don't. And I'm so glad that people know that they can reach out to me. And I think that's because AMR has given me a platform to talk about it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that I would just, the same thing that I tell all of them is it's really, really scary right now when you've been given the news that you have breast cancer, but once you get a treatment plan in place, mm-hmm. it will get better. Your anxiety will ease off. You will, you know, be able to just kind of like follow in a training plan, not the way that I follow it, but maybe the way that you follow it <laughs> is that you have the next 12 weeks in front of you. And so you, it's truly just one day at a time. It is. Um, mm-hmm. 
And there are so many advances with breast cancer treatment right now. I mean, the type that I had Herceptin, which was a lifesaver drug for me and Progetta, you know, those didn't exist 10 years ago. So I'm not sure if I would have survived 10 to 15 years ago. So I just, you just have to have faith that there are new drugs constantly being created and advanced and, um, you know, just have faith that it's all going to be okay. I know that's not always the case. Um, and I know that people get dealt really awful diagnosis diagnoses, but mm-hmm. I think that you just have to truly believe in your doctors. And I kind of succumbed and I just turned over a lot to my doctors and they took great care of me. So mm-hmm. that's my advice. Well, thank you, Katie, so much for sharing. And you're welcome. Uh, if you could please hop back into the co-host chair and help me wreck it. welcome our next guest, Carrie Kim, who has the wonderful and unique title of director of survivor relations at Handful, the bra and activewear brand here in Portland. A mother of two teens, Carrie has described herself in a blog post in these words, quote, a double mastectomy, no reconstruction, badass, scarred up, flat chested woman who survived late stage three breast cancer. So thank you for joining us, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into your health history, um, tell us a little bit about yourself as an athlete, Carrie. Ooh, athlete. I know. I, play, I know. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I played basketball and tennis in high school and I, you know, I'd like to think those were not my glory days, but um, I discovered yoga when I was in college. And so all throughout my twenties, I was an avid yogi. Um, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I had been uh, part of like the health club world doing group fitness, which I really loved. And then after I got diagnosed with cancer, came to discover a love of running and then started to, as I healed, incorporated running as part of what I consider to be my main fitness. Um, but now I've kind of gone back over to the yoga world as I've aged. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and tell us briefly about the work you do in your role at one of our newest and most favorite partners, Handful. Oh, well, I am so fortunate to use my experience as a breast cancer survivor as what feeds my passion every day at work. I get to work with our breast cancer survivor customer population who comes to me, not just to be fit and to understand how our products can help them get back to an active lifestyle, but also just sharing my experience of the treatments that I had, the choices that I made, listening to theirs, being a sounding board, um, reaching out to the community and just doing everything to support breast cancer survivors, the one in eight of us who it just seems as an all women active wear company, um, more and more women every day are coming. And I wish I could close the membership and have no more people join, but 12.5% of us will face this in our lifetime in this yeah. country. Yeah. yeah, It is a wonderful program. Um, I am a direct benefit benefit of it. And I just love your bras, um, as I've said multiple times on this, on this podcast. So I think it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing that you and Jen are doing. Thank um, you so much. Yes. While it's tough to cram any cancer story into a nutshell, give us a condensed mm. version of your breast cancer, please. So I have to say that I first had awareness that something was in my breast. The second day I brought home my first daughter and thought, Oh, that's mastitis. I don't even need to go to the doctor. I'm just going to call in and ask for antibiotics. And so Mm. they didn't see me. They didn't palpate it. I took the antibiotics and the mastitis went away and the pressure on that side went away. Mm -hmm. Cut to second daughter, three years later, always felt funny breastfeeding on that side. And as the years went by, 
it's doubling every so often. And soon it's goes from an M&M to a junior mint. And I'm like, wait a second, this, what is this? So go to the doctor and he says, smooth, round, movable, all benign characteristics. And if he had stopped there, I would no longer be here. But he said, Mm -hmm. just to be safe, don't even call your husband. I'm sending you for an ultrasound. And within moments of that ultrasound and seeing their faces, I knew that, that I had breast cancer. So that's kind of my diagnosis story. And then proceeded to experience five years of active treatment, everything from chemotherapy, radiation. I also got the wonder drug Herceptin, mm-hmm. um, clinical trials, hormone therapy, ovaries, uterus removed, all the lymph nodes under my arm. Like it was everything but the kitchen sink. Um, wow. Because at the time my kids were one in four and my main goal was to make it to the kindergarten bus to mm-hmm. see my four-year-old. And, you know, it, I just kept, kept saying yes to everything they offered as new research was revealed and new opportunities. I just kept saying yes. And so at the end of five years, um, I was declared like cancer-free. And so since then I've just been focusing on fitness and food and mental um, wellness as the things I can control in the hope that it doesn't ever come back. Mm-hmm. And we should say you uh, recently dropped your older daughter off for her sophomore year at college. So that's right. Uh, 15 has, years. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. More, more than the, the kindergarten bus. So yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So I've never experienced personally a cancer diagnosis yet as a observer, it seems like some women are just hustled from one decision to the next without any time to stop and consider alternatives like not getting implants or having reconstructive surgery. So can you mm-hmm. talk about your experience, Carrie, and how you arrived at your decision to not get boobs back? Yeah. So my story is a little bit different in that I was told from the start, you know, we're not even going to talk about surgery because your cancer has progressed so far under your armpit that like we got to do chemo because it doesn't matter whether we leave your breasts on or off. Like it's the systemic spread that we need to control. Mm -hmm. So I went straight to chemo and felt it with each treatment shrinking. And so they were like, lumpectomy, lumpectomy, you're going to have a lumpectomy, like don't even go to a plastic surgeon. So it wasn't even in the realm of possible to me. So I didn't really think about it those long months of the beginning part of the chemotherapy first, Mm -hmm. the neoadjuvant chemo that I had. So by the time we got to surgery, I had a lumpectomy. Oh, we didn't get it all, but we're certain we can get it with the second one. And I was like, I'll have an apple on one side, an orange on the other. Let's just go for it. So I did the second lumpectomy and he said, well, he didn't, didn't quite get it all. And then he said something about we're chasing invisible cancer. And so I realized what he was talking about was around the tumor that was still dividing in the center because mm-hmm. chemo didn't actually work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was stage zero cancer that was like all throughout the ducts that you can't really see. So Mm -hmm. even though he was trying to take wide margins, he wasn't going to get it all. And so I said, and they wanted to do a third lumpectomy. And at that point, like I was already so delayed into starting radiation that the choice still would have been there to get a double mastectomy, but I really didn't want implants from the start and was like relieved in a way that that decision never was given to me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it push came to shove and they're like your life, the radiation oncologist was like, we don't have time to like be worrying about what you're going to look like after. And so I was at the time they didn't, there wasn't really a name for it, but I've come to learn that it's called aesthetic flat closure. And that's actually what I asked for, for the surgeon. I'm like, look, I don't know 
when I'll, or if I'll ever have reconstruction. So can you make me the two most symmetrical, perfect flat scars possible? Mm-hmm. And he delivered, like he did, he was like, yes, he didn't think I was going to ask for that because at the time it was like, we were only going to do one side and then, well, her two positive cancer can often be bilateral. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was another tumor under the swath of clean tissue that they would have left behind. And so it, I'm very at peace with the fact that I ended up doing a double flat wow. because I wouldn't have wanted to deal with just one. Right. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So yeah. then, um, I'm assuming your decision then was met by family, friends, other survivors, you know, that there was no kind of, well, why'd you make that decision? Because it sounds like it was such a life-saving decision or am I wrong? Well, I mean, everybody has opinions and I would say that I had several people say, you're not going to take the free boob job. Obviously those were not cancer survivors because if they saw what the free boob job looks like, it's not always that great. It's not, you know, the nipple, the nipple lessness aside, like it's, yeah, it's not the same as when you do it Mm -hmm. for just, you know, um, aesthetic reasons. Yeah. Aesthetic reasons. So, Mm -hmm. um, husband at the time was supportive family was like losing their minds. Like, you know, the baby's crying. Like you you want, I just wanted to be able to hold my baby and have Mm -hmm. my life back. And also I didn't want to not have full range of motion in yoga and be not be able to run and do all the things that I wanted to do. So I think people were supportive because they did, you know, they wanted me to just do what was best and to survive also. But Mm -hmm. I think they knew that movement was so important to me that any additional surgeries, it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really have anyone question me at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing how many decisions you have to make that you don't even realize I'm going into it. Right. You know, and yep. you're, uh, it's, it was, it's, you're, you're going to help me decide. And it's like, oh no, actually you choose everything from what chemo you're willing to do and right. whether you it's yeah. Just there wasn't tell me. any like, yeah, help, just tell me just what, do, to do, just tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how did it feel to be flat post-surgery? I mean, and does it affect your athletic life in any way? It sounds like it might enhance it a little bit because well, you're able to I have, have to full say, range of motion. Yeah. I, I definitely got what I wanted, which was mm-hmm. the full range of motion. And, mm-hmm. um, I was able to just resume my life much more quickly. I did live as a completely flat woman for five years. I did not wear prosthetics. I was super okay with how I looked. I did always change in the bathroom stall at the gym. Cause I didn't, mm-hmm. I was a young woman and I didn't want people to see, and I felt very self-conscious and I was tending to go into the classes and be in the back because I had very short hair growing out from chemo and I was mm-hmm. super flat mm-hmm. and you know, I would bend over at the playground to pick up my kid and I'd look down and I'm like, ah, shoot my V-neck, like, and see horrified stares. And so that, you know, that happened a few times and yeah. I was okay with it. But at the end of five years, I ended up um, meeting Jennifer through a mutual friend. And that's kind of how I came to discover this bra that she wouldn't stop talking about that she asked me <laughs> to wear. And she's, she's in the business of asking and she doesn't take no for an answer. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to humor her. Right. I put it on. And when I put it on, it completely changed my life because I was like, I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there I am. Like, I remember her. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how. But, um, maybe t- take a step aside and, uh, for people who are not familiar with handful bras, that what it is about the bra that made it so that you had that aha moment when you looked in the mirror. 
Um, well, it, it put back what cancer had taken away for me. Um, it also, I stood up straighter. I, my, my shirt, when I put it on, everything just looked better, looked more symmetrical. Um, it was comfortable. It actually felt like I was putting on my breastplate. It's like I had this protective armor and -hmm. then I was ready to just like look people in the eye and like, because it was the noise between my ears that was getting in the way of just living my life. Because at the five-year mark, I was like, okay, cancer's over. I'm going to live. Um, but my marriage also wasn't surviving cancer. There were, you know, there were reasons that I started to feel more and more self-conscious. My hair had grown out and I just, I wanted, I didn't know that I needed that feeling of completeness, um, and a return to normalcy. So for me, that was, it became the answer to what I didn't know I needed. Mm-hmm. Yet another thing that Jennifer created for this community, right? Just mm-hmm. a little bit of self-confidence that yep. we, we, did, yeah. we lost. Yeah. Um, I saw a stunningly beautiful photo of you naked from the waist up um, is included in a book of photographs by David J called the scar project. Uh, it is, mm-hmm. it is gorgeous and beautiful and very brave. So tell us about what that means to you and being a part of that. Well, at that time I was still living flat and, you know, like I, like I said before, I thought that people were noticing and maybe people did notice a couple of times, but for the most part, people didn't really know what was going on in my shirt. And I don't think a lot of people cared. I had a baby on my hip and a, you know, young child. And I was just a mom at that time. So, um, I saw a post calling for models willing to reveal their scars, um, scars standing for surviving cancer, absolute reality. And because I had family in New York that I would, was going to visit, I thought, why not have a renowned New York fashion photographer take my photograph for this project to raise mm-hmm. awareness of what the scars really look like. And the book is pretty incredible because it does show reconstructive surgery scars and one-sided mastectomies and all, all, all manner of how the body looks after breast cancer. And so highly recommend people Mm -hmm. checking it out if they want to see, um, real photos, not just the plastic surgeon books. Right. So that was actually the first time anyone other than my husband at the time had seen my scars. Maybe my daughter had said when we changed for the pool, she's like, your scars look like two mouths smiling at me. And so like, I felt like I had done a good job privately being proud of how my body looked and honoring it, but it was real, um, revelatory moment for me to take my shirt off in front of strangers and be proud and definitely acknowledge what I had been through and that the scars are just a roadmap of the life that I've lived and the choices that I was faced with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, so Carrie, what advice do you give women faced with a mastectomy? Well, I ran the Portland young survivors group for several years. And I will say that being in a community of other breast cancer survivors, we would have show and tell at the end of every meeting where people who had were going through reconstruction would let you see, touch, feel, and you could get a really real idea of what this quote free boob job looked like. And so, yeah. I mean, you could see whose surgeon was doing great work in our community and, and who maybe it's not the surgeon's fault, like radiation really affects how one side is high and tight and the other's not. And so just realistic ideas of what you're going to get, because I do think there is an expectation of perfection. And I, I know that while it's possible to go back for many, many surgeries, I've got several friends because at the 15 year mark, 
most of my friends are facing the swap out and a lot of mm-hmm. pressure to like, Hey, it's been 13 years. Like we've been bugging you, like, just, just get them swapped out. Like you knew that was part of it. A lot of women though, they maybe didn't realize it. And you know, they got, they're getting the recall now and they're dealing with that. But, um, I just think having a realistic idea of what 3d nipple tattooing ends up looking like on a completed person or no nipples at all, or a tattoo artist who will take the insurance money for nipples and do amazing art. Like that was somebody we had in Portland for years. She's now retired, but Mm. just knowing what the options are by joining real life groups. And if you don't have that in your community, finding that online, because women are very, I've found survivors are very willing and and open to sharing Mm -hmm. what they've been through so that they can help somebody else. Oh, definitely. I'm, this is a kind of not a funny story, but a little bit, but I was in the hospital waiting to go meet my plastic surgeon, um, right before one of my reconstruction surgeries. And I ran into this woman who had been with me kind of every step of the way I was introduced to her through a mutual friend and she had had breast cancer. And she was like, I told her what I was doing there. She's a nurse at the hospital. She's like, come here. She pulled me into the bathroom, lifted up her shirt, showed me her boobs. And she's mm. like, look at how great mine look. Like you're going to be fine. And, and I'm like, only a person who has been through this would, <laughs> would, would do that and have, yeah. and be brave. And it was so encouraging to me. Cause I'm like, yep. thank you. Thank you for showing that to me. Because I, like you said, you can see them in books and it doesn't as and before you see it in real life, you, you have some faith that maybe it's all going to go. Okay. Yes. At least what it's going to look like, I should say. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. This was very moving to talk to you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Was Thank you. Our final guest is almost a hybrid of our first two guests. Kara Frazier, diagnosed with stage three breast cancer at age 26, shortly after her own grandmother had died from breast cancer. Kara got implants after undergoing a double mastectomy, but she had her breast implants removed 12 years later due to the recall on allergen implants. A stepmother of a daughter and a resident of Portland, Kara is founder of a nonprofit called Fighting Pretty that we'll talk a little bit more about. Welcome to the show, Kara. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Kara, tell us a little bit about yourself as an athlete, please. Ooh, as an athlete. Mm -hmm. Well, I was, gosh, I played softball my entire high school and growing up uh, life. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, I was a catcher. I loved playing softball. Absolutely loved it. Um, went on to college, York college of Pennsylvania out in the middle of nowhere and definitely still wanted to play sports. However, their softball team, sorry, York was not very good. Um, (laughs) and so (laughs) I asked, I was thinking about walking on, you know, at least trying to, and then I kind of backed off. And it was around that time, actually, that um, the girls rugby team was playing right by the softball field. And I was interested in what that was about. And someone in my dorm freshman year was like, you should come out for it. So much fun. Everyone's really nice. So I came out the next day and everyone was just that. Everyone was really cool, really nice. Um, So I came out to practice and I was very happy to see that I was the fastest kid on the team. And immediately I was like, yes, I love the sport. I'm the fastest kid on the team. (laughs) (laughs) So the next weekend they started me as a complete rookie. And I felt like, you know, Forrest Gump because I didn't even know the rules and (laughs) they basically, you know, tossed me the rugby ball and I, you know, scored my first try. Um, And then, you know, it certainly became my whole college career. I played rugby. I got all my best friends to play rugby. 
And the funny thing is, is when, you know, people meet me, you always do that two truths and a lie. And I always use rugby because no one ever thinks that I was ever a rugby player (laughs) or my friends, because we all run around with, you know, hot pink lipstick and nails and, you know, curled hair. Um, but we were all really good and really aggressive and quick runners. And so I've, you know, always been an athlete. And then just recently I just joined a, an adult softball league and I'm very sore from my second game last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And are you still playing catcher? Yes. They just put me in as catcher and the ump was like, wow, you're a natural. I'm like, thank you. It's been a while, but thanks. (laughs) I've done this before. I've done this before. (laughs) <laughs> my, my knees hurt just listening to you say you're a catcher. So, uh. yes. oh my gosh, my knees. I literally, after one, one inning, I looked at my husband, I was like, my quads are killing me. Like I squatted maybe four times in the whole inning. But, oh oh yeah. my goodness. So, all right. So diagnosed at age 26, right after losing your grandmother. So talk about a sucker punch. Um, yes. Tell us about your cancer diagnosis and treatment journey, please. Yeah. So my grandmother, we called her Mima. She was a ball of strength. She battled, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in her forties. So she really went through the ringer. Um, Mm -hmm. and we saw her really go through everything. You know, she had one breast removed and then years later, the other breast, and then it came back and it was awful. Um, and so she passed away in September and it, you know, she was in her seventies, but she had had a long battle with breast cancer. At that point I was 26. And so I actually had just signed up to do the Avon walk for breast cancer in honor of her. Mm -hmm. And she actually passed away that weekend. So I didn't end up doing the walk for her. Uh Um, but it really, you know, it was devastating and awful and it triggered me to do a self-breast exam. So I think it was probably a week later I was in the shower and I did a self-breast exam and I found a teeny little hard lump kind of in my armpit area. And I was, you know, shocked to feel anything, but I thought Mm -hmm. for sure I'm much too young to worry. However, Mima had breast cancer in her forties and she was even young then. Mm -hmm. So I definitely, you know, went to get it checked out and the doctor said, oh, you're too young. Come back in a month. Let's see if it's still there. Mm. At that point, I didn't alarm my mom or sister. I didn't want to get anyone freaked out, especially because Mima had just passed away. Sure. And so I went back in a month and it was still there. And if I laid on my side, you could actually see it. Mm. So, you know, did all the things, the biopsy, the scans. And sure enough, I got the call on December 12th, 2008, you have breast cancer and immediately told my doctor to shut up because I thought for sure. Mm. It couldn't be real. Right. And my second thought was my poor mother. Like she is just mm. going to lose it because she mm-hmm. just lost Mima. And now we're going down the same path as Mima and have oh. to go back to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a whirlwind from that. But, you know, we always kind of say it was Mima's journey that kind of let us know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um gosh, here I am crying already. (laughs) I thought that would be at least 10 minutes into the interview. Um, so we went to my mom, my grandmother's oncologist, Dr. Nancy Sclarin at Sloan Kettering. Mm -hmm. And she really, you know, took me under her wing and, and led me through the entire process. And so because I was 26, they 
you know, had said to me, you only have breast cancer in your left breast. However, the chances of getting breast cancer in your right breast increase by 1% every year. Mm. And so that stat really sat with me and it made me think about, okay, well at 36, I now have a 10% chance of getting it again at 46, I have a 20% chance and I want to live to be a hundred. Mm-hmm. So the chances of me getting cancer again are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So going into the appointment, I thought, how am I ever going to make this decision on what to do? Right. But as soon as I looked at that data, I was like, well, this is the easiest decision I ever made. I don't ever want to get cancer again. So I'm going to get a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, they recommended reconstruction. Um, and so I went with the natural teardrop allergan textured implants um, went on to have chemotherapy and radiation. And because I was 26, they did egg retrieval, um, which was a whole other, you know, aspect to this because it wasn't cancer related, but because I was so young, they wanted to make sure they were giving me options for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was her two positive. So I had a year of Herceptin Mm -hmm. and then because I was estrogen positive, I had 10 years of tamoxifen. And so all these years later, I'm 13 years out and I've actually finished my tamoxifen and, um, am doing great. But then in January of 2020, I had my Allergan implants removed because of the recall that it's mm-hmm. causing a rare form of lymphoma. So I am now flat and fighting pretty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Fighting Pretty is um, such an amazing, since you mentioned it, such an amazing organization that you created. Um, It's what prompted you to fight to found Fighting Pretty was your personal experience. So tell us a little bit about the genesis and the mission of your organization, as well as the symbolism of the many boxing gloves in every pretty package. And just as a side note, as someone who has been through this before, and when people come to me and tell me that they're you know, having surgeries or going through cancer treatments, you're, you're always kind of thinking about what to get them. Right. And you have a standard set of things that you want to get people, but this is brilliant for those that don't know what to get people or what they could use or what they expect. So I think it's such a smart box and, and I love, love the mission behind it. So tell us a little more about it, please. Thank you so much. So when I was battling right in the crux of everything, um, you know, I had no hair, I had no boobs. I had no eyelashes, no eyebrows, you know, all the things that made me feel like a woman were now kind of taken away. Um, but I had a support system. My mom and sister were absolutely incredible. My friends, my rugby friends from college were amazing. Um, and so the idea of fighting pretty really came from my entire experience. I, would go to chemotherapy to try to make myself feel better by wearing, you know, bright pink lipstick and I'd wear a bright scarf. Um, my, one of my best friends from rugby, Colleen, her mom, Meg had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so years before, and when I got sick, Meg sent me these little pair of mini pink boxing gloves with a note that said, you know, I'm sending my strength onto you. These boxing gloves are a reminder to stay strong and keep on fighting through anything. Oh gosh. I love that. Yeah. So through my entire journey, I mean, I hung those boxing gloves on my bedpost. They were in my car and my closet. They were my symbol that I could fight through the day, no matter what the day brought, whether it was chemo or surgery, or I had burns from radiation or really just a bad day of 
oh my gosh, what just happened to me? I can't believe I had cancer and I'm dealing with this and looking in the mirror when my hair is growing back and it looks like a mullet, you know, (laughs) I mean, all those, all those things. So those gloves for me were really, truly a powerful symbol. Um, and so, you know, it was a couple of years after cancer treatment that I was feeling better. My hair was longer. I was kind of getting back into the swing of real life again. Um, and another family friend, um, Judy, her best friend was diagnosed with cancer and having a really tough time. And her friend, Jen needed strength. And so I looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know what? You're strong. You're beautiful. You've got this. You have to send on your strength to Jen now. Mm. And so I sent her my gloves and some hot pink lipstick and a scarf, all these little tools that helped me feel strong and beautiful. And I sent that on to Jen and Jen used them and she battled through cancer. And then when she was done, she passed them on to another woman who went on to another woman and another woman. And so Mm. those gloves went on to five women. Mm-hmm. And actually back to Jen and Jen lost her battle a few years ago. Oh, um, so Jen's yeah. Jen's sister, Carol, we call her bean because she's as cute as a bean. Um, <laughs> and she gave those back to me. And so bean and I just have this crazy relationship now that, you know, mm-hmm. she's like my angel. I'm her angel. It's amazing. So, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, through my journey, it was kind of a fake it till you make it mantra also, you know, put on some pink lipstick, put on a scarf, some big earrings, help yourself feel a little bit more beautiful and look at those gloves every day to remind yourself that you're strong. And so I wanted to share that with other women. And I realized, you know, that I could do that for anybody, as long as you let me know that I could help them. And so I'd package up these pretty packages and send them all over the world. (laughs) Mm, mm. I couldn't love that more. Mm, mm. Thank you. Yeah, that is wonderful. Um, so Kara, as you underwent a whirlwind of treatments back in 2008, did you ever consider not getting implants? You know, back then it really, I never considered it. I, you know, there was, there was no recall or anything to my knowledge of any, you know, issue. And I also thought to myself, you know, even if I have implants for 10 years, and then I have to get them redone. We'll deal with that when it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, being 26, I was dating. I still, you know, was still finding myself. I mean, in your twenties, you're still kind of figuring out who you are and what you're doing with your career and, you know, still making great friends and climbing corporate ladders and things like that. And I feel like my body and my identity with my body was still really important to me on how I felt as a, as a beautiful, sexy woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and it still does to this day. And I will say that going flat, you know, in January, right before COVID started, it's been a really weird experience. It's, you know, I've had, I, I, just as I feel like I came to terms with my breasts from breast cancer that didn't have nipples that still had scars. I feel like as soon as I really started to love my body, I lost my breasts again. And it created a lot of PTSD for me, even though I didn't have cancer, I still felt like I had cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. another thing that it took away from you. Yeah, exactly. And I remember getting the call about the recall and going into work thinking like, okay, I'm in my car. I just got this call. 
I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to deal with this and get them removed. And that's that. And then as soon as I went in to work, I told my best friend, Ashley, and I said, I have these implants and they're causing lymphoma and I'm going to die from this. Oh my God. And I lost it. And she literally gave me almost a slap across the face without slapping me across the face. She took my shoulders and she goes, you do not have cancer. You're not dying. She's like, these are just implants. You can get them removed. She's like, just get that shit out of your body and let's move on. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah. It was exactly what I needed. You know, it's it, exactly. It's what you needed. Um, somebody just needed. put it in perspective. So what yep. was your experience with having implants for the dozen years you had them? I mean, if there hadn't been a recall, do you think you'd still have them? I think I know the yeah. answer, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that the implants truly gave me what I needed mm-hmm. after having breast cancer. I think it gave me you know, this sense of, I still have a feminine, beautiful body. I, you know, people joke about, yes, it's a free boob job and, oh, you don't have to wear bras anymore. And all of that is funny, but it's, it's actually not funny because you don't ever want to ask, you don't ever want this. And even though you don't have to wear a bra and now you, you know, can wear backless shirts and the really low cut shirts and your boobs just stay in one spot. You also can't feel them when you go to get a massage or something or lay on the beach, like your boobs don't move Mm -hmm. and they're hard and they pucker and it's weird. And you have this foreign thing inside your body that just feels really strange. And, you know, I, I definitely, again, was kind of in a fake it till you make it mode where of course, you know, I would wear dresses with no backs that I would never be able to wear before when I had real boobs, Mm -hmm. I had the boobs. I had a, you know, big old grandma bra, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's, you know, it's certainly not something that's fun or anything of the matter. And, and it doesn't ever really, they don't ever really look like boobs because they're not your real boobs, right? It's not like, you know, when someone gets a lift or a boob job with real boobs, it's just completely different. I always Um, wonder what people think when I'm running down the road and like nothing moves, you know, and I I know no (laughs) one is looking at me, let's be honest there. But when I see women and I see their boobs bump, you know, jumping up and down, I was like, Oh, I, I kind of missed that even though it was painful, but, um, you know, you just just wonder what people think and I'm sure it's nothing, but it's always in the back of my mind. And that's the funny thing is, you know, I remember when I still had, um, expanders in, I went out with a couple friends, um, for Valentine's day. And this one girl came and she just had on this low cut dress and her boobs were just bubbling out of her dress. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like I never, it like made me really upset because I was like, I will never have that. But then I'm like, okay. In the grand scheme of things, we all have these boobs so that we can feed children. That's mm-hmm. what they're there for. They're right. there to produce milk, to feed children. Mm-hmm. And so children can get fed other ways. <laughs> like we don't need these bumps on our bodies really to feel like a woman. It's all about what you tell yourself and how you need to remind yourself that you're strong and you're beautiful and you're gorgeous, whether you have big, bubbly, bouncy boobs or you know, hard implants or no boobs at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's been, you know, something I keep reminding myself and I find other ways to make myself feel sexy and beautiful. So 
it's a, it's an ongoing journey. I'm still fighting pretty through it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So what was the, that implant removal surgery like, and how was the recovery from it? I mean, did it slow you down for a long time? You know, similar even to, even to the implant surgery, the explant surgery was kind of the same thing. I mean, you go in, your body looks one way and you come out and your body looks like a completely different body. Mm. Um, the emotions are the same. You, you know, you still have drains, you still look at yourself in the shower with, you know, you can't get your scars wet. Um, and you look down at your body and it just, your immediate reaction is, Oh gosh, I look butchered. Like this is so scary looking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, little by little, you have to work on it. And I know that for me, when I had my implants and when I had my explant surgery, I've spent a really lot of time in the mirror with no shirt on Mm -hmm. and just really coming to terms with it. Um, because it, it is scary even now, like I, I can see my heartbeat through my skin Mm -hmm. because I only have bones and I see my ribs and my chest bone is the furthest thing now to the front of my body, which is not ever something I've ever experienced in my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've always had these boobs and lumps there to protect me from whatever is coming at my chest. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but every single day, I mean, I get out of the shower and I, I look at my chest and I, I touch it. I feel it. I embrace it. I really try to come to terms with this brand new body of mine because it's protecting all the insides of what's keeping me alive and keeping me happy. And so who cares if I don't have boobs, you know, I'm here to celebrate and live this happy, healthy life that I have. Um, even though I keep crying as you ask me these questions, <laughs> because it's still really raw, you know, and I, I think that's something that I, I want to make sure that people understand is if you're a supporter of somebody going through cancer, you know, just because they had surgery two years ago or cancer 13 years ago, I mean, it's very traumatic and the fight is really never over as much as you can put it behind you. Many, many moments of the day, it's never really behind you because it's a constant reminder when your body has changed due to, you know, this kind of unfair disease that just decided to attack you for whatever reason, you know, you just got unlucky there for, for that time. Mm-hmm. So that's so well said. Um, cause it, it does never go away, but it seems like you've taught yourself tips and tricks to, you know, make it a little bit easier day by day. And I think that's, that's all we can really all ask for. Right. For sure. And that's, you know, when you talk about fighting pretty and what do you send someone, you know, the thing about fighting pretty too, is that these tools inside that box, which are, you know, boxing gloves and scarves and lipstick, and really these kind of accessories and inspirational items and beauty items, they celebrate you as a woman, not as a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. They are there to remind you that you're a strong, incredible, beautiful woman. And it doesn't matter what stage you're at, whether you're newly diagnosed, or again, you're 13 years out, or you just finished treatment or going in for surgery. These are things just to honor you as a woman, not as a cancer patient. 
So, well, and you've already given us so much advice, um, about how we can share, you know, positive thoughts with other people, but since you meet so many people as in your job as marketing manager at OHSU Knight center, cancer Institute and through fighting pretty you, you know, what do you share with these women who are newly diagnosed or going through the journey as someone who's been through so much? Um, what can you kind of leave us with to pass on? You know, I, I tell them all take everything day by day. This going through cancer is every turn. There's, you know, a new appointment, a new scan, a new check-in. Um, even, you know, after your five years, when you're technically in the clear, you still go every two years to get your MRI or whatever. And you're always scared, you know, at every moment or you get a headache and you're scared because you're like, oh gosh, is that cancer now in my brain? You know, mm-hmm. and just my, my advice is, you know, if you're newly diagnosed, just get to the next appointment. Don't worry about what's six months from now or two years from now, or if you have to worry about getting your breast removed or your radiation, just take every single day as it comes and try not to get too far ahead of yourself, but also celebrate every win. And if you finished, you know, day one of chemo, mark it on the calendar and go celebrate. If you finished, you know, six months of being cancer-free, celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Everything is worth celebrating. And every single day is a gift, truly. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. Thank you so much, Kara. This was really so beautiful. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, you guys, I totally started crying like the whole time. <laughs> I was crying too. I just didn't show it. It's hard not yeah. to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right there. You guys are amazing. It's just crazy. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share, you know, my story. And I hope, I hope it helps other people. I hope it doesn't make them depressed that here I am crying on your podcast, but no, no, it was, it'll be nothing but uplifting to people. I, I, I'm sure of that this whole podcast. Yeah. Good. I can't wait to hear it. And I really cannot thank all of you so much for this opportunity. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. All right, dears. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, if you, um, we're moved by the idea of those pretty packages. We actually um, have something special that just launched today, October 1st, if you're listening to this show on the day it drops, um, so that if you know someone battling cancer and want to show them you care, um, or you yourself are battling it, or um, maybe you just want to treat yourself because you love what's in this pretty package, um, uh, it's called Strong and Supported Pretty Package, and it's a collaboration between several brands, including ours. And the package includes a handful Y-back bra in sassy and strong camo print, a revamped version of our popular I Am Stronger Than I Thought tee, um, humble lip balm and aluminum-free deodorant, which um, so many, I know, uh, breast cancer survivors are on the lookout for, an eight-packet box of Noon Immunity 3, and those Fighting Pretty mini boxing gloves that Kara talked about. So this package is valued at $135, but costs just $75 with almost $50 of the proceeds being donated to Fighting Pretty. Um, And it's a limited edition box. So to purchase it, head to handful.com for all the details and to buy. Again, um, this strong and supported pretty package is at handful.com. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Thank you.